Hi, and welcome to the DMBA podcast, where we share business confidence for designers. In this very special episode, we go deep into employee-owned companies. And together with me and Franz are also a couple of DMB alumni, Sandra and Chris, who work for employee-owned companies. So first of all, who is Sandra? Sandra is a senior design consultant in a company, a Finnish company called Columbia Road, which is a digital sales consultancy with roughly 150 employees. It was funded in 2016 as a spin-off from Futurist. And shortly after this, it introduced employee stock ownership model. So basically selling parts of their stock exclusively to employees. And Franz, who was or who is our second guest? Um, our second guest is Chris, Chris Howe. He is a head of uh, experience design and also nominated employee trustee at ClearLeft. ClearLeft is a digital design consultancy with roughly 20 employees based in uh, Brighton in the UK. And ClearLeft's employee ownership model is through an employee ownership trust. So 75% of the company uh, is owned by this trust, which in turn is uh, owned 100% by company's current employees. Alrighty, so let's jump into the conversation with Sandra and Chris. Hi Sandra, hi Chris, great to have you here. Hi. Hi there. So, well, you both work in um, companies that are partly owned by their employees. So, first question I'm super interested in is, why did your company even decide to adopt such a model? And it would be great if we start with uh, Sandra, actually. Um, yeah, so Columbia Road is partly owned by employees and we have the option to buy shares from the company if we want and uh, the idea of having that possibility was there from the beginning of the company as uh, Columbia Road is a spin-off from Futurist and at Futurist you also have the option uh, of buying shares so it was something that kind of like they heritage from the mother company. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it was, what do you think was the reason why they also went mm. to it for Columbia Road? Um, yeah, well, um, they wanted to give the opportunity for employees to also benefit of the company's success, mm. basically. And, and of course, it's a very useful tool for employee engagement as well. Yeah. So. I want to talk about employee engagement later. That's a super interesting one. But I'm also curious about the situation at um, ClearLeft and Chris. So why did ClearLeft move to employee ownership? Um, ClearLeft has always had a, a kind of very purposeful mission about using design to improve the lives of businesses and the people using those products. And has that culture has been kind of very central to ClearLeft over 15 years and at the 15th year anniversary the founders Andy Budd, Rich Rutter were looking to what do they do in the future you know those milestone markers I guess in any business where a founder is or founders are looking for what does the future look like and various ideas had been talked about over the years you know do they sell do they get acquired um, 
But both of them wanted to keep that essence of clear left, that culture of clear left. And employer ownership was one way of doing that. They could realise some money from the business, realise some money from the hard work they'd put in, and mm -hmm. also maintain and ensure the long-term sustainability of clear left and its purpose and its mission. And I think it was a win-win situation. Um, they're both involved still with clear left, but it has allowed the people within the agency to gain a little bit more sense of ownership of that business. Um, from a practical point of view, um, initially very little changed. And I'll talk about engagement later because I know you want to. Um, that's slowly changing. But I think kind of that long-term sustainable view of a business and making sure that the thing you set up, the thing you really cared about, the mission that you brought to the world still has some longevity, even if you're not going to be involved 100% of the time in its future. Mm, so basically a succession model for the two founders. A succession model that still allows that agency to exist in a form that they yeah. would recognize. Yeah, interesting one. Yeah, I mean, I they, think it may be also interesting to go. Sorry, um, cut you off. <laughs> the, the, the founders definitely talked about um, having lots of people they knew who had sold their agencies. And whilst that acquisition of an agency brings you money, the downside that they often saw was that the thing that you started and you really believed in becomes fairly unrecognizable fairly quickly. And I think if you if you have a business that you believe in and you want to keep it going, employee ownership is a successful way of achieving that. Yeah. That's definitely an interesting thought as companies might considerably change if they have a new majority stake owner, which is someone different than maybe the employees who own, who worked in that and already learned the vision and the vision or internalized the vision, right? Yeah, for Clearleft, it was definitely uh, being able to enable change and a fairly significant change in how the company is set up, but keeping yeah. the essence of the agency in place. Yeah. And one thing that I want to maybe state right now, because um, we already see maybe a little bit of a different spin in these two companies, uh, Clearleft and Columbia Road. Also, the fact that there are two different models of employee ownership that we're looking at, right? So, if I understand correctly, Clearleft is an um, Clearleft, or the company Clearleft was sold, or a majority stake was sold to an employee ownership trust, which belongs to employees, and part of the shares, like 25%, if I'm not mistaken, is still owned by the two founders. Yes, that, that is true. So 75% of the company is owned by, we call them partners, and the partners are all of the people currently employed by Clearleft. So if you join Clearleft next week, you are immediately a partner within that company. And if I was to leave Clearleft, I'm not planning on doing that. Um, but if I was to leave Clearleft, <laughs> I would no longer be part of the, the partnership or the trust. And we don't have share ownership as Sandra was talking about. Mm -hmm. So this is the indirect uh, employee ownership model and Sandra for you at Columbia Road it works through a different model, right? You have um, 
stock ownership, direct stock ownership, right? Yeah, that's that's the difference. I think that in Finland, that type of model that Clearlf have wouldn't work legally. So, and I know that they were back then. I wasn't involved in the process, but I know that they were studying different models, and the simplest and uh, the one that could work the best as well for the employees was that giving the option to those who wanted to to buy. Uh, buy them in at different mo in different moments throughout the year. I think that it has been uh, a couple of times a year that we can buy those shares. And and it's like if you would buy shares from a company in the stock market, but it's a it's just a private company. Awesome. And Chris, you were touching upon something interesting, which is uh, what happens when an employee leaves the company? And this is a question for both. Like, so if somebody leaves a clear left or when somebody leaves Columbia Road, like, um, what happens with that ownership? Uh, maybe Sandra first. Yeah, that's something that, uh, it might iterate, but as of now, the idea is that, uh, the company has the right to buy those shares back. Doesn't necessarily have to, but they can, they can buy them back. But you can also keep them as an employee. As of now, I don't know what is the percentage of people that kept them or sold mm. them, if I'm honest. Mm. Uh, but I think that the formula is that they will buy them back when you leave. Right. So. Yeah. Okay, so some kind of preferred share back from the company. Mm -hmm. And how is it with ClearLeft, Chris? The model we have is that everybody who's employed has an equal stake as a partner. Um, there is no preference for longevity or seniority. Everybody has a, an equal say within that uh, business. So, <laughs> I guess we have the same question. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I go first. <laughs> yeah, I go first. So, uh, equal say was my segue to how decisions are made. So, we have these two companies, right? Employee Ownership Trust. It owns 75% of the company, so it is like the majority stakeholder. Then we have the other model, Columbia Road, where you have stock ownership, but still stock ownership, there is no majority of employees don't own the majority of stakes. So it's not like 50, 51% owned by employees. So I'm super interested in like how does these two models actually translate into how decisions are made or how the company is run, or more specifically, maybe what impact do employees have in decision-making of the company? And maybe go first with uh, Chris, because they have majority stake, which is very interesting. So in the model that we have, there are various groups with different interests. And we're, we're 18 months into our employee-owned journey. So eventually, when the trust has paid back the debt with... Um, to the, to the founders, there will be different implications. There will be um, revenue that can be distributed to the partners in the business. But in the early stages, we are still set up with um, a leadership team and the leadership team sets the strategy for the business. The managing director and the leadership team are responsible for setting the strategy and meeting those performance targets. We then have the partners, the owners within the company, and the role that they have 
is not in making every decision. Um, we haven't formed a democratic commune where every decision is equally voted on. That just felt as if we wouldn't get anything done. Um, there's not any efficiency within that. So it, you have to start wearing different hats at different times to know what decisions are being made and what your role is within those decisions. And that becomes an interesting challenge. I am one of the voted in trustees. So I wear a hat of being a partner, like everybody else that I work with. But I go to trustee meetings where we get to either be the sounding board for the leadership team or to bring issues to the leadership team. Um, and then the leadership team are there to set that business strategy. But those, mod those, those three groups are very um, transient, I guess. People move in and out of them at different times, wearing different hats. Rich Rutter, one of the founders, is still actively involved in a day-to-day -day basis uh, as our production director. So he, he wears a hat that is founder, looking to make sure the business is well-run, sustainable, profitable, so he can get uh, his investment paid back from the trust. He's also a founder trustee, so he has a role to look after mm -hmm. the culture and well-being of the company. And equally, he's a partner. He's got a vested stake equal with every other partner within the business. And that's been an interesting challenge to work out where responsibilities lie, where, where decisions are made, and how we can navigate that complicated world. So far, we're, we're working through it. Um, having open dialogue is definitely useful. Having moments where we all get together with those various hats on, you know, it's a partner activity or there's a leadership team meeting mm. that gets communicated. And that's an ongoing process for us. But I think that's, yeah. that for me is the most interesting challenge of becoming an employee-owned trust is the landscape for people subtly changes. You've got people who are partners who are being encouraged to have a more active curiosity about the business and helping to set the culture and bring initiatives into that business. And then you've got founders who have set this thing up who are being asked to cede some of their responsibility um, to allow other people and other voices to come into play. And we are, yeah. we are definitely um, working through those challenges as we go along. But we were yeah. very keen that our partners, it wasn't going to be um, an open democracy where everything was decided by everybody. We have to give yeah. trust to the trustees who have been voted and we have to have faith in the leadership team and the managing director to have that strategy. The change for us has really been around encouraging people to be more actively involved in that and to raise their voices more readily um, in having a vested interest in ClearLeft. Mm -hmm. So it also depends very much on the leadership style to, or the leadership and their style to accept these initiatives that are maybe now more readily made or also more expected because they're all partners. 
Yes, and we have, since becoming an employee-owned trust, we have uh, a new managing director who was mm -hmm. brought in and knew that we were an employee-owned trust. And that was part of the, the excitement for our new managing director and part of the offer that, you know, they would have to work within a framework that is based around the long-term sustainability of the business, decisions being made on and with and on behalf of the partners within that business. And that's, um, yeah. that's a model for the managing director that suits some people. Thankfully, it suits um, Chris Pierce, our managing director. Um, that fits in yeah. with his style of leadership and management. It might not suit all managing directors that come into a business that are expecting something to be more hierarchical um, or them yeah. to have power over all of the decision making. Mm. Interesting. The last thing I want to say to that before we um, also ask Sandra is the interesting thing that you said about also one of the founders still being a trustee and also taking active decisions because as if I'm if, if I'm correct then the employee ownership trust didn't just buy the company but it pays off the sum with the profit of the next six years eight years some years which means that yep. obviously the founders still have the interest that the company actually runs well because otherwise it wouldn't be possible to pay back the the, the debt basically right we've been I think lucky, I mean, I don't know about other employee-owned trusts, but our two founders, um, one of them is actively involved on a day-to-day -day basis in the company. Mm -hmm. um, one of them less so on a day-to-day -day basis, but they still have a vested financial interest stake in the business, both as a percentage of ownership, but also in having the, the debt of the trust paid back over time to them. And I think that becomes mm. really important is still to have that connection between the founders that had that very purposeful mission of what they wanted the business to be and all of that experience that they had over 15 years of running that business and the connections they had to make sure that that's not lost in however you sell your stake in the business. Um, as I say, I think we've been really lucky in Rich Rutter still on a day-to-day -day basis um, being involved and being able to wear those multiple hats and Andy Budd who isn't involved on a day-to-day -day basis but is still an influence over Clear Left and is still um, somebody whose counsel we look to somebody who is still connected with Clear Left and will give us that that opinion and that wisdom that he has in making sure that yeah we are making sensible business decisions. Yeah, that makes sense. In their own interest also. <laughs> I, I think in the mutual, um, you know, it's, um, yeah. for me, yes. employee-owned trusts, when they're done well, they, it's a win-win situation. It, it allows yeah, exactly. founders to realize some capital from the effort they've put in. Um, but equally, it allows that business to thrive going forward. Yeah, yeah. that's what I like about this story is because it's aligning incentives. And sometimes 
some of these stories can also lead to misaligned incentives. One side wanting one thing and the other side wanting another thing. And the fact that here founders are being paid off in six, seven years, I think this is kind of the transition period is giving both sides kind of the taste of, of the new story, but also leading to, uh, yeah, the next chapter and, in and, aligned. And very yeah. deliberately, our repayment model for the founders is triggered when a certain amount of profit is made on a monthly basis. So there is an ongoing um, incentive for the founders and the partners mutually to kind of make sure we are generating um, profit, revenue, making sure we're a sustainable business in order to make those payments. As a, as a partner, I want to pay back that debt as quickly as possible because then that gives mm. us more financial freedom. Yeah. But as a founder, you also have that vested interest in making sure that business is still successful in order that you can get your repayments. So I think that yeah. mutual thing really works well. That's so interesting. Yeah. Sandra, what about Columbia Roads? Do employees also have um, more say than maybe in companies that you have worked in that were not employee owned? Um, well, I, f I feel that employees might have uh, more of a say in at Columbia than any other company, but I'm not sure if it's because of the ownership. I think it's maybe because of the model, how the company works. Because mm -hmm. um, not all the employees are owners, but every employee can also propose things and bring up their, their points of views. And there is no... Although there are general managers, there are a couple of general managers in each region and each are uh, responsible, etc. The structure is not very hierarchical. It's not this traditional hierarchy. It's quite flat. Like for real, uh, we don't have we don't have these managers or uh, anything anything like that. Like traditional figures like that. With the way that the company works and makes decision. Uh, many times it's based on these uh, working groups, let's say, uh, some of them we call them task forces. So we have task forces that we form uh, to for certain projects or for certain functions, for example, I'm part of the HR task force. We are a support function for uh, the HR team and we take care about the recruitment and and creating the community around the, the design discipline, etc. There are now, for example, task forces for um, for learning or for diversity and inclusion. For you know, so they form and then they disintegrate if there is no need for the work anymore. And the general managers, although many times because they are the responsible of the business resource, after all, in a way, they have many times the the high level view of everything we might go uh, you know as I said to consult to them because they might have a perspective that we don't have they are not the final decision makers in everything that we do and there is also this thing that this model that is called this three by two model uh, to make decisions that many people can make decisions by themselves just uh, making sure that the three corresponds to is this good for the people around me here the company is it good for the the customers and also the numbers of the company so those are the three elements yeah. that you can see there and is it good now 
and will it be good in the future? You never know, right? But you need to assume that. And many times, for many decisions that we make, we kind of try to gather people around and like, okay, three by two, uh, what do you think about this thing? And then we discuss. Mm-hmm. And and of course, you know, there is the board and the and the steering group that they that's well. They are kind of like working groups and make decisions in a high level. But it's not either. Uh, kind of like this communal decision-making thing, because if not, you wouldn't move. It's very difficult to make decisions with, now I think that we are 150 people. Mm. Yeah. This reminds me of a super interesting study. So I was researching on employee and companies, and obviously something also goes, or some attention also goes to, do they perform better or worse, or what happens with company performance, right? So in general, studies say that if you have company ownership, and this study says at least 30%, if you have employee ownership and at least 30% in this study, then um, employees are more productive, these companies grow faster, and uh, these companies are less likely to go out of business. So that's the mm. one of the results. But an interesting follow-up study says that employee ownership alone doesn't change anything in this if you do not have participation that actually comes with this, right? So this is very interesting for me that Sandra says, well, we do have employee ownership, but the stake that you're buying, this, this share that you're buying, actually doesn't give you anything. It doesn't give you voting rights. It doesn't bring you in the boardroom. But what's maybe just different is the ownership that you feel and then also people do participate. And that's what actually happens in these companies. And not, it's not necessary in terms of, it's not a mechanic there. It's not like I own this, I get more money maybe. And this is why the company works better. But it's also that if you have participation models in place, this is actually what drives performance. I would yeah. be fa- fascinated in that study to kind of dig into the nature of the company's that are part of it because at clear left yeah. we've we're we're 20 people just about to be 20 people so relatively small company and we've always had a fairly flat structure not a huge amount of hierarchy and a real focus on autonomy allowing the talent that you've got to do the job in the way that they want to do it um, and as a result of that when we became an employee-owned trust after the first three or so months we got together we gathered some feedback we talked to people about their experience and one of the common themes that was coming out is nothing much seems to have changed and we took that as a positive you know the people still had a voice beforehand and afterwards um what we're seeing now kind of 18 months into that experience is a very subtle change in mind shift where people feel slightly more engaged with the company and empowered to make decisions and more curious about how the company is run how it could be run and people that are partners taking a a more long-term view of the business and becoming slightly more engaged they weren't in, not engaged beforehand, but being slightly more engaged with the strategy, the business metrics, the um, the culture of the company in order to make that something that they want to be with for the long term. So I think the it feels to me like a, an oil tanker that very slowly changes 
and you almost need to have that longer term view to go yes we have made a we have made a shift in direction we have got people to feel more as if they have a say in the company but when you come from a a place that already allowed voices to be heard already encouraged people to get involved that shift isn't as radical as going from a very hierarchical management team that then suddenly allows other people to get involved in it and I'm hearing that from you Sandra as well it feels Columbia Road already had that 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 lack of hierarchy in a positive way and allowed people's voices to be heard yeah I guess that in our case it was how the company was the company started working like that it was an for me it's very interesting to to see the the, the shift in clear left that because uh, it's not I, I assume that if I think about the companies I've been working before it, we would have had to make that kind of shift it would have been quite complex mm-hmm and Columbia Road set out with the idea already from the beginning. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, I'm thinking just out loud here, but I also guess the size of the company has a lot to do with um, how you feel about the ownership ownership of things. I'm now guessing, but maybe part of that research or a big part of that research was done in bigger companies, like thousands of employees. And then I think the trick is even if you give somebody stocks or ownership however that is defined and if you feel like your work doesn't directly affect the results you don't feel ownership of the results and you don't feel the ownership of of the company and i guess the smaller the company the bigger maybe the impact potential impact of such programs are obviously i'm just hypothesizing but both of the companies that chris and sandra come from are of a smaller nature on Air quote. So clear left is like Chris you said twenty, and Columbia Roads is what one hundred and fifty, Sandra, something like this. Yeah. Mm. So that may also be the difference. The interesting thing here is that in my research, I was I was thinking that this is a new thing, right? I mean, obviously it's not new because there are uh, there were um, like farmers were organized like with like say employee or or let's say organizer owned companies. Um, already before and that was ages ago but I thought okay companies like for-profit companies going to employee ownership is kind of a new thing and then I learned and I also thought it was about smaller companies and then I learned about public supermarkets in the US having three 1,300 stores um, and let me just check my notes 230,000 employees in the US and 80% of their stock is employee owned so they started out as a private company and then um, in 1959 they decided as a succession model, exactly like um, ClearLeft, basically the founder said, well, we don't want to do this anymore, kind of, and not because we don't like it, but we're getting old. We need to find a succession model here, um, but we want the company to continue living the values and continue living like it is. Let's make this model and actually it's now 20% owned by the company, uh, by the family and 80% owned by um, employees. And that's huge, right? That's a huge company, 230,000 employees. And I was stunned uh, when I read this. Hmm. It would be interesting to learn if also they changed the way that they were operating to see as you were mentioning that it, 
usually it's not just the ownership, but also the way that they can participate in the company decision. Yeah. I unfortunately didn't um, <laughs> learn a lot about that. But maybe if someone from public supermarkets listens, they could tell us. Yeah. It would be awesome to learn about how employees actually have a say in company decisions. The company in the UK that often gets mentioned is John Lewis Partnership, which is a, a big department store. Um, they run Waitrose, which is a food store across the country. Um, and they've for a long time been a, a partnership where when you join, you are part of that organization. Um, and I've always been curious of that when you were at that scale, what are the decisions you get to make? What's the impact you get to make beyond the sense of being treated maybe more fairly and maybe that company having more of a purpose in the way that it operates rather than just seeking profit. Um, but yeah, for us 20 people, we've always been fairly hands-on making decisions. That shift hasn't been enormous for us. Yeah. Interesting. And the thing that was also interesting for me where you said that actually nothing changed for you, but you did feel a subtle change or you are feeling a subtle change currently. Um, I was actually chatting with, um, I'm unfortunately, I unfortunately can't name the company where uh, this person is working in, but they are also company uh, employee owned recently. So what they said is that I asked them for benefits. What changed for them? They're like, yeah, obviously it's nice to have a little more, um, a little more, uh, payout because yeah that's what happens obviously it's also nice to, nice to feel heard but what they are saying was that what's most important for them is that they have let's say the safety or the peace of mind that nothing's going to change in this awesome place they like where they work they like the culture they like what they're doing and they just know that this is going to stay the same and they don't have to fear that i don't know corporate buys them when founder leaves or everything going sideways when there is no successor or a wrong company buying this whole thing. And that was super interesting for me that uh, this person said that this outweighs everything for them. I have lots of designer friends that have been through acquisition of companies and some of them have worked out well, they've, they've gained scale but more often than not, what has happened is a design team, a design studio has been acquired by a larger organization that doesn't align with the same ethos as that company. And then what they find is their working practice does fundamentally change. Um, being an employee owned trust, we are very unattractive to being acquired. You know, all of the partners would have to agree to being acquired. And that doesn't feel on a day-to-day -day basis like a huge advantage. But when you take the step back and if you want security and longevity and you want to say in how that company operates and the culture of it, that does become a fundamentally attractive proposition. Yeah, that's true. Crazy, and I think this is this isn't easy to understand if you're not in this space, right? Having been acquired or having 
like working in companies that change ownership. But I think as soon as you were close to that, and I think many in the design community work in agencies and they see what's happening with all the names. <laughs> so, so they can feel it. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I'm also wondering, Sandra, um, do you see like a clear, let's say, a clear difference when it comes to companies that you have owned, uh, that you have worked before. Um, so beyond this, Columbia Road seems already to be differently managed, but does this ownership, like the stake in the company, have any other impact on employees or maybe you as an employee? Mm. Hmm. Well, I actually was working before at another company that offers shares as part of the compensation mm -hmm. as well. So kind of, I can see already the difference. The model was different. Uh, and back then it was more of a startup. So I wasn't kind of, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't, it really didn't affect me that much. And I didn't know that much about what it would imply either back then. Uh, but then they, they were just giving them to me like, okay, here there are some uh, very small percentage of sales and you could not really decide if you believe in the future of that company because at the end that's what that means, that piece of the company. And now at Columbia Road, I am able to decide, okay, I really believe in the future of this company. I want to be part of this to another level. And I make the active decision of buying shares from this company and being part of this to this another level. Because then you can go, of course, to the shareholder meetings and um, there are just small decisions that can be made there. But uh, it's, it's more like this commitment that I, I myself uh, make actively. And um, when you are working within a company and you yourself decide, look, this is a good investment, Uh, it's, I think it's quite powerful, more than they just giving you something for free in a way. Um, so I guess that that's how it might affect. Mm. It's kind of interesting thought. So instead of you getting it very small, which is kind of not making a difference, but then having an active decision to make and buy something. Hmm. And also, in a way, if you buy. This is like a like when you buy stocks in the in the stock market, you also get dividends. So it's also something that you're getting back in a way. Mm. It's not you're not gonna become rich, you know. But it's also kind of a two way thing. Like I'm committing to these, and you're also uh, kind of like giving me back. Uh, so and and I think that is is it because we have different models of uh, kind of giving back to the employees. And I think that being a consultancy where, you know, people is the most valuable thing that consultancies have. That's what we, you know, we don't have a product. We don't, you know, that's, we have our minds. So uh, anything that uh, can, can benefit them back the employees uh, is also a good, a good thing, I would say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that idea that Sandra was talking about, about commitment and attracting people I think are two of the advantages that we are slowly seeing in, in being employee-owned around retention of staff and recruitment of staff in that 
um, we have a very one of the things about being employee-owned is it forces you to articulate your culture and your purpose in a way that may have been slightly abstract beforehand and that is really useful in giving staff clarity on what what is clear left where's the direction of clear left and in recruitment that is helping it makes us appealing to people that want to come into an organization where they have a say and we're not just looking for them to turn up do a day's work be paid for that we want we want more of their talent expertise to be expressed within the company yeah and now that you're talking about the let's say impact on employees do you think that there was also an impact on your clients when we talk to clients and when we pitch work we mention that we are an employee-owned trust and the it's expressed in a way of you will be working with people who have uh, a vested interest in clear left i don't know from a client perspective if that is appealing or not my hunch is that for some clients it's not the way that's not the reason that we would win work um, you know the quality of our products mm. the quality of our thinking is that but it's an extra dimension where they n it gives them that trust and that evidence I guess of the people working on the project also are um, committed to clear left in a way that you don't get if you go to an agency that is owned by somebody else and you uh, the, the people on your project from that agency are just staff members so i think there is a slight i guess it's a bit like being a b core you know it's kind of it's a it's a badge that you put out that will appeal to some people and it gives you some evidence of the people you work with the way they think the commitment that they've got um and the the likelihood is you're going to get a much better outcome from that project because the team working on that want to have a good outcome for the agency. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that in our case, that's not 100% of the employees are owners. We don't really promote it mm. like that way, but it's actually, it's, it's a very good point because then it also aligns, as you were saying before, Alan, uh, the outcomes of this project is going to benefit the agency so therefore where you can assume that people are going to be more committed to the success of the project mm. true and flip side wise have you seen any anything that became harder like any challenges that you believe are kind of tied to the employee ownership model taxes <laughs> for you personally <laughs> in both cases you know because that and also especially because you know i'm i'm not finnish and i'm i'm working and in finland so usually the tax system here is very good you know they do everything for you and in these cases when you're getting employee stock options as i got before or you're buying shares from a company you really need to check okay so how do i what do i do with my taxes now because mm -hmm. 
we're just in autopilot. The, the tax office does it for you. So maybe you need to learn a little bit about taxes when you're in this kind of organization. Interesting. I think the, <laughs> the two kind of challenges, I don't think they're, they're exactly downsides, but the two challenges that we're faced is in becoming employee-owned, you're asking for the partners to acquire some new knowledge and skills and be invested in that mission. So becoming more business aware and more curious about the business, you're asking people to do that. And that doesn't suit everybody. Not everybody wants to um, have that connection. Thankfully for us, most people are wanting to do that. And then there's a challenge from the founders sort of handing over some of that authority and power. And then that brings up those interesting, potentially tricky conversations around what decisions get made, how do those decisions get made. And they're not always conversations that have come up before. You know, it's, it's easy in an organisation that has more of a hierarchy of we, we acquire clients, we're going to do projects for clients, and all of a sudden we're in a world where actually that's giving us interesting conversations about who do we want to work with? What sort of work do we want to do? And giving us more of a um, ability as a group of partners to shape that. And with that comes some responsibility around making sure that there's enough work and also the right kind of work. So you're asking people to adjust the way that they've thought or the patterns that they're in. Um, and that takes time for some people and it's not, some people have more of an appetite for it than others. We have generally seen a really positive spin on that with people wanting to become more business confident, wanting to become, mm -hmm. um, wanting to be engaged in those tricky conversations. And those conversations largely have been mm -hmm. diplomatic, but it forces to a head some of those conversations that previously you might have allowed other people to worry about and take those decisions on your behalf. So you do your job when you're running a company, I do my job in delivering my work, and now it's more like, okay, why exactly are we doing this? And <laughs> can I maybe learn more about why you decided this way? Can I maybe mm -hmm. also share my thoughts and how I would do this? Is this what you're, the conversations you're having? It, exactly that. It's that extra dimension to conversations. Yeah. Um, which, That's really cool. Which I think is really interesting. I think it's really empowering. Yeah. Um, and, and they're useful conversations. But tricky conversations are difficult to have, you know. It's... Yeah. <laughs> Just real quick on the challenges. Uh, this is specifically for you, Chris. You mentioned earlier that each of the partners, so each of the employees, has the same percentage of the trust. Has that created any disincentive to grow? Because if we're 20 and if we divide 20, no, 100% with 20 people, it's 5%. But if we divide 100% with 50 people, it's 2%. So like, has that created any incentives to not grow? It hasn't yet had that impact. Um, it will be interesting Challenge. to know what happens um, <laughs> at the point where the debt is paid back and there is profit that then can then be shared um, out of running that business because I think at that point that focuses the conversation on 
how do you share that profit equally um, and it was it was it felt straightforward to give everybody an equal say there are you know other models are available uh, longevity seniority might might change mm. um, how that operates um, currently for us it's employee ownership is more about giving everybody equality and giving everybody a say in that I'm fascinated by those dynamics though of how you incentivize people and how you don't disincentivize people um, in all the work they do and I think that that profit share is um, is, a, is a fascinating one of is everybody mm. is everybody equal in the generation of that um, profit for the company are some rules more important than others I'm yeah. I come from a background where if I look at a business I'm looking for equality I think everybody's function is equally as important some people it's yeah. easier to pin revenue to the work that they do because they're in a role that allows you to do that but there are people in support roles um, there are people in projects that might be uh, they might think of their role as being lesser on that project but you need all of those people to run a successful business and I'm I'm quite happy as a yeah. as a hippie to distribute and, and be in a company that wants to distribute <laughs> equally this is yeah. just bringing us to a different level of the conversation which I'm really happy about because for like we're talking now for like 50 almost 50 minutes and we have always downplayed the role of money until now right everybody said yeah it's nice to get a little more profit and everybody said it's about say it's about feeling ownership it's about enjoying what we're doing but ultimately the why i think this model is so interesting is that it also like can do a huge job in like redistributing wealth and redistributing how like our economy works when we think of accumulation of ownership of companies which was very big in the last centuries where maybe a few centuries ago we had many family businesses small businesses where many people equally benefited now businesses grow bigger bigger we have um, let's say accumulation of ownership and then we have employees who earn their set um, dollar or euros or pounds but this completely changes the whole thing right and this is why i think this is so interesting because on the one hand it seems to be great for everybody who works in such a company but on the other hand it seems to solve also much bigger challenges in our economy or in our society and i'm curious to hear your views on that both of your views hmm. Yeah, I, for me, because I've been many times thinking about how good it would be to work for a company that allows you to uh, be an owner of the company or participate in the profits of the company. That hasn't been the case in many of the companies I've worked before. And uh, maybe it might be because, you know, I was I was born in, in an area of Spain where it was quite big that the, the cooperativism. Uh, so I don't know if you know Mondragon cooperatives, they are quite big 
quite well known. And for me, that was kind of like the dream model. But of course, cooperatives have also some other challenges. Uh, but I felt that if everyone is putting effort into building something and you want people to be engaged with that, there is nothing better than making them part of it as well economically. Um, so when I bump into a company like Columbia Road, uh, I thought that, that it was brilliant. And the fact that there are more companies popping up here and there, and that is something that uh, also in the startups is very common that you get a say. I think that is, is quite interesting how it's turning around and how it's also allowing some companies to do, uh, you know, the, the founders to step down of their positions and to just letting the whole company live by itself. Uh, that's also quite interesting. One of the shifts we've had is people having more conversations about the financial modeling of the company. But my, my view in business, and, and I've always looked to work in companies that have, that put kind of the purpose of the company first, providing me with meaningful work to do, to look after work-life balance, happiness, and the result of those things is profit. And I've never looked to work at a company that puts profit first. Um, and I, for me, the employee-owned trust model has the potential to generate profit for the people in the business, but it's n we're not looking to do that as the first thing that we do. We're looking for making decisions that put that allow people to do good quality work in a lifestyle that works for them, where we're looking to be to work with partners over a long period of time and be sustainable. Um, I think if profit and earning money is your primary concern, the employee owned trust route isn't the quickest way of realizing that money. Um, but for me, I would, you couldn't pay me enough money to go at the moment and work for Twitter. You know, that's, that's not the life that I want. Um, mm -hmm. the, the interesting thing is here that I think that we're back at this aligned incentives again, because I, I think it's super interesting to say, well, yes, we are obviously a for-profit company and we need to make profit and um but it's more more or let's say most importantly we spend i don't know 40 hours plus or minus depending on the company uh, work model here and we want to enjoy our time and we want to enjoy uh, we want to do meaningful work and we want to um yeah just do cool things while we are actually happy and also healthy um and doing this while also benefiting from the profits that the company makes. And again, the company makes the profit because people are happy and doing cool things. Um, again, this profit is shared equally amongst the people who actually produce it. And this is why I like this model so much. And it's definitely not a model to get rich fast, but it's more a model of participating equally in value that is created through a company that works smartly and as Sandra said, looks at uh, three, two. Three by two, three yeah. Three by two, yeah. I mean, for me, this that's just, yeah, very interesting. And one reason why we actually 
dove deep into this uh, and invited you to to learn more about uh, the how and the why of this uh, of this whole model. Really cool. I think it's time to go to last questions. Are you ready? I have one question for each. Right. <laughs> okay, so we know that. Um, so first, I want to ask Sandra, what advice would you give to employees? Should you be looking as an employee to work in an employee ownership owned company? Is this something that everybody should strive to? Hmm. Um, well, I mean, for me, it has worked pretty well for the last two companies. So I would say yes, <laughs> just do it. Uh, but you need to learn about the taxes before making that decision. <laughs> I had to pay a lot of taxes with the previous company. <laughs> but I would say so, because uh, especially if you believe if you believe in the the goal and the way that and the culture of the company um it's it's for me it makes me feel much more connected to everything like i'm part of it so if that's what you want from uh from a work uh from a job mm. for yourself i would say so just go for it that's interesting an interesting if because maybe some people are doing a job in order to get money for their life but if mm. this is something that you want to do uh, be very connected with what you're doing um, then what I'm hearing is then this is an interesting model yeah and also I don't know in this in, in this consultancy work how it would work but in the in the previous case as well you know at the end uh, the company was very successful so I was very lucky it might happen that you know you're not that lucky but for me it was like a very very nice surprise that okay I got this uh, in return of all my hard job that uh, all yeah. the hard work that I've done and as you mentioned before and this is a personal opinion they're connected to Columbia Road I don't know if they believe on that or not but for me that what you said about uh, companies that has been uh, kind of uh, getting all the value for the employees and they haven't been giving back uh, and, you know, just because the company is the value in itself, just the company is nothing without the people. Because then nothing happens. Mm. So I, I feel that it's fair to say that benefit. So yeah. I would recommend in a nutshell. <laughs> nice one. Um, Chris, what advice would you give to companies? Should they be transitioning to employee ownership? That is a really interesting question. Um, I think my advice to founders that are looking to become employee-owned would be to go and talk to other companies that have become employee-owned. There's, there's a good network of employee-owned companies out there. Find a company of the similar size to you, similar culture, maybe similar sector. Um, in order to find out as a founder how best you can transition from being the lead decision maker and giving that succession to your your employees I think would be really useful and as a mm. founder if you're thinking about it working out 
where you fit in that company. You know, as I was talking about earlier, we've been really lucky that the founders haven't been cut free. They're still involved um, in the business and that's important to, to have that continuity. Um, so I think if you're looking to sell as a founder, looking mm. at how you want to make that transition and being transparent about how you want to make that transition. And then for both founders and people within the company, I think there are two things that would be really useful to help with that change. One of them is being prepared for those honest, difficult conversations, like doing, having some of that work done up front. Don't wait until you're suddenly an employee-owned trust and that's the first time you're talking about culture, wellness, happiness, profit sharing, all of those kind of interesting, difficult conversations. You can start those conversations earlier and I think that would be beneficial. And then I think the other one, which talking to you two, I've definitely you know swallowed the Kool-Aid, but everybody in the company making that transition, becoming more business confident, getting up to speed with the operating model, the business model, how you make profit, how you could change that and make profit and get more aligned to how those strategic decisions get made and what the, what the playoffs are for that. You know, it's, I think it's easy to look at a leadership team and either agree or disagree with the decisions they make. But until you're involved in being part of making those decisions and making the, the trade-offs that inevitably come with it, um, it, it's hard to, to understand the complexity of those things. So I think gaining business confidence, training people to start thinking in that ownership model would be a useful thing. And again, you don't have to wait till the day you become an employee-owned trust to do that. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. Well, I think the last thing that's left to say is thanks. This was awesome one hour. Thanks Sandra and Chris for coming on, going so deep into the why and also the how of employee-owned um, companies and also sharing your personal experience. This is the, the best thing that I can think of. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. It was yeah, nice, thank you very nice much. to hear other people's experiences. Lovely to meet you, Sandra. Yeah. Yeah, same. It was super interesting. I just wanted to learn about your model. So. All right. Thank you very much. Goodbye, everyone. Ciao. Ciao.